same Jesus. So if we know that this same heart is now interceding for us in heaven, then we know that in his heavenly glory, Jesus continues to love us, to welcome us in as we come to him. So can we now approach the throne of grace with boldness, as we heard in the Bible reading this morning? How about I pray for us, and then we'll get into the sermon today. Jesus, in you we see an incredible example, an incredible picture of your welcoming nature, of your gentleness, of your kindness, and of the love that you have towards us. Sometimes we might not feel all of these things all at once. We might feel a little bit distant from who you are, considering that you're not here on earth looking us in the face. And yet at the same time, as we hear, as we hear week in and week out, your presence resides with us, your spirit lives in us, and you've given us access to your Father. We want to take that invitation that you give to us to come and boldly approach the throne of grace and to seek out the mercy that we need from our Father, to seek out the grace that he has for us and to find that when he looks to us, his look is not cold, his look is not stern, his look is not unwelcoming, but it's one of love, it's one that invites us in, it's one that would sit at the table and eat with us. You love us, Lord. We want this to be the thing that controls our thoughts, our hearts, our guts, everything inside of us as we come near to you, as we make our requests known to you. Whatever it is that we're going through in our lives, Lord, we want it to be that we never feel far from you, we never feel that we, can, we can't approach you. So would you help us in this? Would you help us to draw near to you? Would you help us to come up to you and make our requests known to you, even this morning? Would you illuminate this word to our hearts? Would you start a new life in us and help us to love you? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That Bible reading, once again, from verses 14 to 16 in Hebrews, uh, this is the only part of this sermon series where we've exited the book of John and we're looking at the letter to the Hebrews. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Now, no matter what it is, when we talk about confessing something to be true, believing something, we have to put into practice the things that we talk about believing, no matter what it is. It might be a hobby that you say that you have. It might be something that you're just really into or the job that you do. If you say that you really believe in this, surely we have to have some sort of action to go with it. And so we have to put into practice the things that we talk about believing when it comes to Christ as well. When it comes to holding fast to our confession, when it comes to going to the throne of grace with boldness, 
These are the things that we have to put into action so that we can receive mercy and grace to help us in time of need. Our confession, what that's talking about here is not just about the confession and repentance that we often talk about when we talk about prayer, when we talk about sin, but our confession is talking about all of our faith, everything when it comes to our faith, that which we confess with our mouths, the good news of the gospel. But our focus this morning is on the necessity of prayer, why we need to pray. Because without God's grace and mercy, we cannot live this Christian life. And so we need this relationship with God. We need to pray. So what does prayer look like in our lives? Sometimes we might ask other people to pray for us. And this is great. A lot of the time, we go to our people, the people that we trust, the people that we love, and we tell them, this is what I'm going through, and we ask for prayer. But also a lot of the time, we might not engage in it ourselves. Someone might ask us for prayer, and we don't know quite how to go about praying for them. We might face situations in our lives where things are happening, and we don't really know how to pray. We know that prayer is the right thing to do, but we don't know how to do it. Or maybe prayer is not, just not that important to us. Now, I have some friends in my life that know that I'm a Christian. They're not Christians themselves. They know that I'm a pastor. Uh, they've taken to call me a priest because they have a bit of a Catholic background. And every once in a while, they'll ask me to pray for them. Not always. You know, usually they'll talk about something else. But once in a while, when something's really out of their hands, like a family member is really deathly ill, where something terrible is going on in their lives, they ask me to pray. Sometimes it's a little bit inane. They might have to do with their sports team. They ask me to pray that they'll win. I'll actively do the other, unless it's my team. Um, they'll ask me to pray for them because of something or someone that they really care about, that they're worried about, because to them, I'm a go-between for them and God. They recognize that they might not fully believe in this God, but they think that it's possible. And so they think, they say these, these words, can you put in a word for God, for me? Someone, I'm someone to them that they feel has a special line with God that they themselves can't talk to for whatever reason. Now, do I serve such a function in our church? Yes, in some ways, I do. In a way, yes. Some of you have asked me to pray for you, and this is good according to the letter of James. It's good for you to ask people to pray for you. It's great when you ask people around you, your life group, your ministry members, your friends, to pray for you, because this is what we're called to do according to the same passage in James 5. But there's one higher than anyone else who would possibly pray for you. He's the great high priest that you truly want to be praying for you, and he is praying for you. He's not like us, where we feel at a loss for words sometimes, where we wonder, is it right for me to pray this, or should I be praying for the will of God to be done? Like, how do I line up all these things? We run into all sorts of intellectual, theological blocks when we pray, but Jesus never stops praying for us. And so he is also the one that you want to approach in prayer.
Now, often in our faith, we acknowledge particular aspects of who Jesus is and things that we need from him. We know that we need a prophet when it comes to Jesus, and we know this theologically. I think especially in our church, we know this because we know that we need Jesus to reveal God to us. When we talk about the gospel of grace each week, this is what we're talking about. We need Jesus to reveal who God is to us, otherwise we remain lost in the dark. We need a king. We know that we need a king like Jesus to reign over our hearts completely, to bring us under God's rule instead of being ruled by the different passions that reside in our hearts. And we know that we need a king like Jesus because those passions war so strongly inside of us. But do you know that you need Jesus as a priest as well? You need him to be your priest. You need him because his intercession is necessary for you. And we can't dare to approach God the Father who sits upon the throne without Jesus speaking on our behalf as our priest. Verse 14, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. The letter to the Hebrews tells us he is the Son of God. The eternal Son of God. The, he's divine in his being, and yet we know from our series that he's human in his understanding of us. He's human in his sympathy towards us. We've seen throughout our series what kind of man Jesus was on earth when he welcomed sinners. How much more now? He not only lived here as a man, facing every temptation that we have, and yet not giving in, remaining sinless. But in his fullness of glory, we read in verse 15, he's God in his being, but he's even greater in his sympathy towards us. He isn't unable to sympathize with us because he's ascended into the throne. He's ascended to the throne room of God. We might think this because he feels so distant from us, but his heart still moves for you. He's still concerned for you. I'm sure you've experienced the feeling of being concerned for someone or someone that you care about, or maybe you feel that concern coming back the other way when someone cares about you. My wife, Bora, when she's worried for me, uh, this is when I feel very connected to her. <laughs> I don't want to say this is when I feel the most connected to her, you know, but when she's worried about me, there's something. You know, maybe I'm just a, a pitiful person, okay? But I feel like we're standing on common ground when she's worried for me. Do you ever feel this way? Like someone is worried about you and you feel really united. Like this person really cares. There's something between us and we become one, then how much more with God? He died in our place so that we could stand in his. The Son of God came, lived as we should, and died as we should so that we could stand in his place and experience a greater unity than anything we could possibly hope for in this life. Oneness with God. This is our high priest. In his humanity, we see the perfection of humility. And in his divinity, we see the perfection of dignity. 
And in it all, he remains faithful to God, and yet he remains merciful and sympathetic to our weaknesses. He's moved by us. He weeps for us, and his sympathy means wounded. He mourns over us. After my son Jonas was born, um, I came to the realization that I had really no earthly idea how to be a father. You know, we stacked up a bunch of books uh, during, you know, COVID days, you know, all about how to be a parent, how to be a good father, and I don't know if she's listening, I can't see her, but I didn't read any of them. So, (laughs) Um, I began reading parenting tips online as well, though, you know, like in the interim, and I tried to get, you know, like books, sometimes it feels like they fill out the pages so that the books feel thicker, but there's like one thesis statement that you really need, and it's somewhere in the book. And you don't need to read all the examples and stories. And so I, I began to read tips online. I found it really helpful. You know, I'm this kind of person where I need the empathy. So I, I found it really helpful when I started to read from other dads around the world. And they would post online about their experiences with fatherhood. You know, their funny stories about, oh, my kid did this. It's so funny, you know. And I would be like, oh, that is funny. I can't wait to go through that as well. Now I would gather ideas and tips from them about how to raise Jonas. Now keep in mind, I don't know any of these people personally. These are all strangers, they're very anonymous to me. Sometimes they post photos, that makes me a little uncomfortable because I feel like I'm a little bit too close to the action then. But I'm reading their, their stories of their triumphs, their struggles in fatherhood, and somehow I'm being brought near to them, even though I don't know them. Every now and then, Someone will share a story about their child passing away. I don't don't fully know how to react when I'm reading this because I don't know the person, you know, but other dads will reply. They'll console the grieved person. Some of them will say that they've experienced child loss themselves and, you know, I'm reading all these things and they're telling that person what a bad club that they're a part of that they hate to welcome in new members, but that they'll always do it with open arms. And I read all this, and I don't know any of these people. I haven't experienced this level of loss, and nor do I hope to. But in these moments, I'm often moved to tears over these strangers. And I know them in their suffering. Something in me feels a little bit of what they're going through. Sympathy. This is sympathy. Jesus, in his union with us, receives us as members of his body. We become part of him. We become one with him. As he's one with us, even beyond the sympathy that we talk about, he's inclined to care for us to relieve relieve us of our hurts and sufferings because these are hurts and sufferings in his body. You don't ignore aches and pains. Like other people around you, if they're hurting, you might 
give them some advice, but what can you do? You can't force feed them medicine, you can't force them to go get therapy or whatever it might be. But for ourselves, in our own bodies, at least then we take action. And not only when he walked this earth as man did he sympathize with us, but knowing our humanity from the inside out, he continues now to experience the distress that we undergo. He still feels everything that you're going through. He mourns over the tears that we shed. He's that kind of friend. And he's graciously inclined to act when his heart sympathizes with us. So we approach the throne of grace in prayer. Verse 16, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. And we will have our time of need. For this you can be certain. Everyone will go through a time of need. We all do. And we're completely incapable of pulling through this on our own. So we need to seek God's help. So thank God that we have this great high priest, one who's able to sympathize with our weaknesses in the many ways that you've just heard. So let us approach. It's that simple. Let's come near to our God. There's no, there's no steps to follow. Just go. Just pray, that's it. That's the whole thing. You can be asleep for the whole thing that we just talked about, as long as you take this away. Pray. Come near to our God solemnly, with great reverence in your heart as you worship him, and pray. Come up. That's the invitation that our high priest gives us, that Jesus tells us, since he represents us, He's gone before us. He's made a way for us. So he says very simply, come. So we can now approach God with boldness and find mercy for our failures and the grace to overcome them. Now, depending on the kind of person that you are, this invitation might not sit well with you. you know, having spoken to a few of you guys that are considering baptism even, I know that even there, you might feel a little bit like, I don't know, I don't know if I'm ready. But ready for what? We're receiving grace. There's no qualifications that you need. Have you ever done anything bad in your life and you were more fearful of going home than getting in trouble from your school or your work or, or the law? It's either because you don't know how your parents will react, and that's a terrible place to reside. Or maybe because you know precisely how your parents will react, and that's you know, still a pretty bad place to be. So it makes sense that we might have this kind of strong reaction in our guts when we think about going to our Father God, when we know our sinful selves, when we know that we've been struggling 
when we know the sin that we've been going through again and again, we might feel like, I don't know if I can go to God again. I don't know. What if his forgiveness runs out? What if he says, what about the last time? But if we truly know Jesus as our high priest, if we know what he did for us, if we really know this, who he is, we can't wait a second longer. And we will go to our Father with boldness. Why punish ourselves any longer by creating this distance artificially, beating ourselves up over another failure, when Jesus has already taken the punishment on our behalf himself? What more punishment do we have to have on ourselves? We have an unparalleled freedom. There's no other way to put it. We have this freedom to be able to come near to God. And so we no longer need to be slaves to the fear that's in our hearts. Those of you who were at WinterCon last year, you might remember that in Jesus, we're made into either God's sons and receive a spirit of sonship or we continue on in this sphere of slavery. Romans 8 reads this, for all those led by God's spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. We have to, this morning, purge our hearts of this thought that we're not accepted by the Father, that we're not acceptable in any way. We need to go near to him this morning. Are you unworthy to approach God's throne? Is this the controlling thought in your mind? Because your answer has implications about where Jesus' atoning death for your sins sits in your heart. It's the throne of grace that we approach. And our Father sits upon that throne giving grace and mercy in infinite measure. It doesn't run out. So let's approach. Why don't we take the invitation to come up to the throne of grace? Let me pray for us. Father, we want to lay aside every weight, the sin that so easily entangles us, the things that we give ourselves over to. But more than anything, Lord, we want to lay down this strange right in our hearts that we hold so closely to feel guilty to feel shameful. And instead, Lord, we want to look to the great high priest, your son, Jesus, who's done the work on our behalf and received all of the punishment once and for all. And as we look to him, we 
want to be shameless. We want to be bold as we approach the throne of grace. It is the throne of grace, Lord. When we come near to you, we can raise our faces on high. We can look to you, our Father, because you're gracious. Your face, when we look towards us, you're not frowning, you're not angry, you're not disappointed, but you smile and you welcome us in. Your face, your heart, they're filled with love for us in a way that we could never fully understand here on this earth. No matter how beloved we feel by our family and friends, we know, Lord, that it pales in comparison to who you are. We are so fully loved because you know everything about us, even down to our secret sins that we never tell anyone, and you still receive us. So receive us now, we pray. We ask, Lord, that all of us can take this invitation to come up to you in boldness, making our requests known to you, handing over our anxieties to you, that we might be fully restored, that you might lift our heads, that you might say, son, daughter, all is forgiven. Come near. Speak these words to our hearts once again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.